Hello, everybody. Um, <clears throat> a warm welcome. And uh, our subject this morning is going to be contending in prayer. All right. Shall we have the first slide up there? Contending for renewal. And this one is in prayer. I don't... Okay. Can I have it? To... Yeah. All right. So... Could I have slide one, please? Okay. Contend, the word means to struggle in emulation. I didn't know what emulation meant. Or in opposition, a violent straining after any object. So I had to look up emulation. <coughs> desirous of like excellence with another. I thought that was just perfect. We desire to be like Jesus. Because that is where the power comes from. So we're called to contend in prayer, all right? I'll start off with a bit of a personal story. Um, somebody said, I only pray when I'm in trouble. Well, that's all right, because I'm always in trouble, so I'm always praying. And I felt a bit desperate, and I left my quiet time sort of shouting at God, I'm no good without the Holy Spirit, and I can't afford to sin anymore. Because I seem to... <laughs> trip up. Um, so I just received Philip Tim Keller's book on uh, prayer and intimacy and I went for a coffee and I opened it randomly and this is what I saw. Slide two. This is what I read. Um, you must account yourself, this is a quote from St. Augustine, you must account yourself desolate in this world however great the prosperity of your lot may be. And in all reality, we are really, really desperate for God. You know, in Jonah it says, the grace we forfeit when we cling to worthless idols. And the trouble is, that, and the good thing is, that there's grace for as we grow into the things of God and into prayer, we are all the time finding that we're loved, that grace covers us, that we're fine, that we're doing all right because he loves us. But prayer is really a place of getting hold of God. And I can't, this is such a massive subject. I mean, what is prayer? It's communing with God, it's groans, it's sighs, it's words, it's laughter, it's it's speaking in other languages, it's English, it's shouting, it's absolute stillness, it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's loud, it's noisy, it's corporate, it's individual, it's praying with one or two. It's a massive, massive subject. But the one thing we do need is we need an ongoing, ever-deepening relationship with our Heavenly Father. And through that, to contend for his kingdom and his will in our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our government, other nations, and the planet. And it seems to go out and out and out and out and out. Very often we start just selfishly. We just want something for ourselves. We just want something for our families. We just want some peace in our lives. Or we just want some healing. But as we get hold of God, so this contending keeps growing. And God wants to fill this earth with his presence. Um, there isn't a slide for this. And I don't even know the reference because I've got it in a little message booklet and I haven't um it hasn't got a hasn't got a reference hang on 
It's in Ephesians 1. And it's just down the bottom of the page. It says, um, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up. He had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. So he's working out his purposes in everything and everyone. So, next one. So, a lot of Paul's praying is that we should know him. And I think this is a really big part of prayer. It is, it is spiritual. It's not mental. It's spiritual. It's when the spirit in us starts to convince us of truth. So, Paul wants us to know God. Ephesians 1, 17. Um, and these are prayers you can pray for yourself. Ephesians 1, 17. This is his prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And three, I mean, do we know that power? Does that feel strange language to us? It does a bit, doesn't it? Do we think that when we're praying, we're exerting the same power, the incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead? Do we realize that we're all the time being taken out of this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun and into that power? Do we realize that? Or do we get so robbed and so bogged down that we're barely making it in prayer, barely asking for the next thing that we need? Or do we really see ourselves as taking hold of something that's available to us? That, you know, I, I get so bombarded, and I'm sure you do, of what I am not and what I don't do and what I've done wrong. and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's end, the enemy is endless in telling me how bad I am. But God is endless in telling me how great I am. And if I can believe that, I will be that. And it's faith, you see. That I may, that, that it's awesome. I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I may know the hope to which he's called me. The riches of his glorious inheritance. I have to see Jesus. I have to, I have to keep pressing in until I see him, till I hear him, till I feel him, till I know him, till I'm rooted in him. I need to grasp this the depth of this. And Paul knew this and he was trying to, I remember going to a conference once and somebody got this little pouch, little nylon pouch, and they got this massive duvet. And they said, trying to get this understanding into our heart is a bit like trying to shove this duvet into this tiny pouch. But it's already in us. It's Christ in us that reveals God and who he is. 
314 to 19 is, um, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious, this word glorious, not mediocre, you know, you've got to get that sense when you're walking around Niddles that you're glorious. You know, when you walk, when you go into the co-op or when you're driving, you're glorious. The Bible says glorious are the saints in the earth. We're glorious. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints because it's not individualistic. It's not me and my personal faith. It's what I share with his saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not head knowledge. It's a knowing in your spirit that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Gosh, I've got some way to go. Okay, so there's a war on. Let's go for the next one. The language of the Bible for prayer is warfare. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you want to hear it, whether you don't want to hear it, you're in a fight. You're in a fight for your life. So let's have a look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10.3, shall we? 2 Corinthians 10.3. If I could have one tattoo somewhere, I'd have it on my front of my hand that says, our warfare is not against people. Because all the warfare out there is against people, and the devil hides very nicely, very, uh, very covertly. He's tucked away, and nobody thinks it's him. Okay. Two, um, 2 Corinthians 10.3, okay. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We do not fight and argue. I want to tell you something that I've realized again this week, and I really want you to hear this. For any sin, there is a spiritual realm. So you can have an argument occasionally, or you can have a quarrel occasionally. You can, I'm not saying, I'm giving you license to do this, but if you slip up and you tell a lie, okay, occasionally, okay. But if you keep quarreling, if you keep arguing, if you keep lying, if you keep nicking, if you keep watching, that is a spiritual dimension that will grip you and hold you and become a stronghold in your life. I read once that the Bible said, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, must not quarrel, must not be contentious. So when you argue, the devil's right on your words, right there. And if you keep arguing and you keep swearing and you keep watching and you keep moaning and you keep arguing, a spiritual force will lay hold of that, of that atmosphere and lay hold of you. And that is the warfare. Because you give him permission by what you say or you stop permission by what you refuse to do. It's so powerful. Your mouth is the most powerful thing that you have in your body. And you have the will to use it to bless or to curse. Our warfare is not the same as the world. We do not fight back. 
We submit to God. We resist the devil. We contend for our own lives, for our own minds, for our own hearts. We're contending for, for this glorious gospel that we want to know more of. There's a war on. Okay, the weapons, no, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, every thought, every thought that's rogue and random, we get hold of it and we say, no, we're not having that. We have to contend because we have three enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have the world, which is very deceptive. It will offer you anything cheap, and it will be cheap, and it will wear out, and it will have no eternal value. We have, the, we have the flesh. That's your battle. I need to pray. Mm. No, I'll have a chicken sandwich. I need to pray. No, just go and have a coffee. I need to pray. No, it'll be all right. I'm sure it'll be all right. I'll just leave it in God's hands. It'll be all right. There's always stuff against us. And then the devil, who the world lies in the lap of. And there's the devil who's all the time behind the flesh. The world is alluring, and we have to learn how to not go there. So um, the Bible tells us this is a fight. One Peter, it, you know, you can, you can explain things away and you can understand things away, but in the end, you have to resist. You have to fight. Okay, 1 Peter 2.11 says this. It says, blah, blah, blah. it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You've got a soul. And you've got to keep it intact. And then, of course, the greatest letter that Paul wrote on this subject was Ephesians, wasn't it? Ephesians 6, and we know what that is. You know, um, Priscilla Shira said this once. You know, she's a good preacher. She said, um, do you believe in the Bible? She says, well, Satan does. He knows every word, and he, and he knows it better than you. And we very often don't believe it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your husband. It's not against your wife. It's not against your children. It's not against the principal of the school. It's not against your boss. It's not against flesh and blood. It is against, it is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I believe we have angels helping us. I believe there's a heavenly realm out there. And when we pray, when somebody once said, you know, the devil trembles when the weakest saint is on their knees. We have all the power of heaven on our side when we pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to contend. So we have this fight against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. And we need to pray for one another and encourage one another because we're all in the same fight. You can look up all the scriptures you want to and pray for one another. You know, pray for the government. Pray for the world. We have, we have no choice but to contend. Proverbs 1.31 says this. Um, where's Proverbs? Proverbs 1.31 says this. It says, um, listen to this. It says... Um, Proverbs 132, the waywardness of the simple will kill them. 
and the complacency of fools will destroy them. You fight or you die. You fight or you're, you're mincemeat. You're, you're jam. You're just, you're just rolled over by the enemy. If you keep listening to his lies, if you don't take hold of the truth, if you don't contend for your life and for that of those around you, he will march into your home and he will take everything good that he can from you. He will t Jesus said he comes to steal and to kill and to rob, and he'll do that. He will do that. He will do that. By default, if you don't live by the Spirit, you will be, you will be God out. God is able to rescue us from every evil attack, but I don't want to keep walking into them. Do you? I've explained this word before, but I want to look at it again. I want to look at this one. The, la the last one, number five. I want to look at this because it's just gorgeous. I just love it. And I want to... Um, next one. Wake up. Don't take your ease down at the back. Okay. Chutzpah. Pronounced chutzpah. This is extreme self-confidence or audacity. A Yiddish word meaning imprudence or gall... Bravery that borders on rudeness, brazen nerve. How many people think of talking to God like that? Show of hands. Come on, how many people talk like that to God? Brazen nerve, audacity. You're wondering whether it's a trick question, aren't you? <laughs> You're wondering whether I'm going to catch you out. That's how you should talk to God. That is how you should talk to God. Because when you, when you know that he is the only one that can give you what you need, when you know he's the only one that can deliver you, when you know he's the only one that can heal you, how are you going to talk to him? Please, if, you're, if you can see your way clear, if you're not too busy, can you help me out? Or is it, heal me, damn it? Is it, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. I'll give you a biblical reference, shall I? Come on, don't be British. Don't be British. How do you talk to God? How do you talk to God? If you see your son and your daughter going off in the world and getting damaged, how do you talk to God? Does it matter? Does your life matter? Does your life matter? Do your children matter? Do your finances matter? Does your health matter? Really? How do you talk to God then? Do you say, it'd be really nice if you could help me out? Or do you say, Lord God, Lord God, do you shut that door occasionally and say, I am not having this anymore? You've got to say to the enemy, thus far and no further, you have got to stop this wave of evil that's coming against me. You have got to surround me as the mountains surround Jerusalem. You have got to protect me, as it says in Psalm 91, that those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will rest secure in the shadow of the Almighty. I have got to know that you've got my back. Jesus, I want to see my kids delivered. I want to see the enemy kicked out of my life. I want to see your faith. God. You've got to get it. Look at this wonderful scripture in Matthew, okay? And let's have a bit of chutzpah about us, okay? Um, so, 
Matthew 15. Before I, before I go there, you think about who had chutzpah in the Bible. You think of Abraham contending that God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew was in there, that he took him down and down and down and down until only 10 people. He said, well, you know, forgive me if there was only 10. It's that... In, in Jewish, I wish I got the quote with me. To be a good Jewish person, you had to know how to use chutzpah so that you weren't that you weren't overstepping the mark and being rude, but how to use it to get hold of God to do what God wants to do. You see, if you look at Kings, and I haven't got the reference, but in Kings, when Elisha, when Elisha is dying, he gets his men in, he gets this man in, I wish I knew the story, I'm not well prepared, and um, he, he tells him to take the arrows and beat the arrows um, against his enemies, and the man beats the ground, can you find the reference for me? He beats the ground four times, something like that, and the prophet says, you will not defeat your enemies. You will not defeat your enemies. If you get that, if you get that, whatever it is, and you just go, you ain't going to go anywhere. He said, you should have beaten the ground because you enter into a spiritual battle. You know, I want my children. I want my grandchildren. I want my marriage. I want my church. I want rules. I want the neighborhood. I want this government. I don't want ISIS moving in. I want democracy. You see, that's not rude. That's right. Do you see what I mean? I don't want my friends sick. I don't want my friend's family robbed of their mother. I don't want my friends robbed of their children. I don't want the enemy moving into my neighborhood. I don't want drugs in Rawns. I don't want the beautiful children at Rawns Manor suffering bullying every day. I don't want the people lost in this town. And this woman had it. This woman, in Matthew 15, she had it. Moses had it. Jacob had it when he wrestled with the angel. David had it. Look at the way he prayed. But Matthew 15, we see something awesome. Matthew 15, it says, the faith of a Canaanite woman. So Jesus is taking a rest. He's, he's leaving that place. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. He ignored her. So his disciples, because she keeps crying out, think they've got to come to the rescue and bail him out. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Then he responds. He must say this because she's a bit of, still at a bit of a difference. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the woman then comes near and kneels before him. Lord, help me, she said. Then he insults her. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. She's calling, he's calling her a dog. As much as we like dogs, a dog is not a human. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. She was a woman who would not take no for an answer. And I am convinced of this, and you don't have to be, that until you get serious, you ain't going to see some change. Until you care, you won't know that he cares. If Jesus died the most horrific death on a cross to save men and women, to bring about his kingdom on the earth, he wants me to care. If that same Christ lives in my heart, then he wants me to pray. I never leave my house in my car without praying for the youth of this town. I can't help it. I never sit in McDonald's, but what I don't pray, for the lostness that I see around me, or for the boredom that I see at the, on the people's faces as they, on the checkout. I never stop praying. I never stop praying. Because the world is just so, so lost. It is so lost. She showed daring audacity, bordering on the rude. She refused to be offended. How often do we get offended? By God. You know, we think that he ought to do this and this and this because so-and-so's got it or we've seen it before. And he doesn't do this and this and this because he doesn't do the same thing. And he's working his purposes out. We've got to trust that he's working his purposes out. But, you know, when I had those bad knees, I was not going to be stopped from, from being who I am. And they were stopping me being who I was. And I had to shut that door and go without a bit of food. I had to throw myself onto him and say, I need to be healed. And you can heal me. You've got to heal me. Now give me a plan. Show me how I get this. Because sometimes you've got to go somewhere for it. Some people travel miles for it. This woman traveled miles for it. Sometimes it's not in Rawns. Sometimes you have to pay money and get on a plane and go for it. Sometimes you have to watch podcast after podcast after podcast on healing because you have to build your faith. Because watching Hollyoaks ain't going to give it to you. You know, watching the TV is not going to do it. You've got to feed your faith. You've got to take it seriously. That is that God wants to give good things. But if you don't ask for them and you don't want them, you won't get them. Jesus himself said you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. Well, he'll clear your motives up. Be encouraged. None of us have good motives. Christianity was all about me and my and I. <laughs> It was all about get me a car, get me through my driving test, look after my kids, give them a good teacher. Get my, me, my, 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 I, 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 I. It changed. Okay. So we have to have this perseverance, this chutzpah. Chutzpah, Jesus. Chutzpah. Jesus, you've got to give me what I want. Because what I want is what you want. You've got to give me healing. You know, like those Kenneth Hagen camp meetings, when they're all going out in the spirit, they're jumping over the chairs and they're doing all sorts of funny things and they can't talk. Anybody ever seen a camp meeting of Kenneth Hagen on the TV? No. Oh, go to your YouTube and get a, a Kenneth Hagen camp meeting on there. It is hilarious. He goes to people and he goes, go, ha, 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 They go out in the spirit. Rodney Howard Brown, I was at a meeting with Rodney Howard Brown and me and Lizzie were sitting in the front and he just came near us and we shot back in our chairs and our legs went up in the air and every, the disarray was glorious. We weren't sitting there like English people, nicely tucking our arms around our private bits to protect ourselves. We were beside ourselves. 
And sometimes I don't like the beside ourselves. Sometimes I've been to meetings where I don't like it. You can tell whether it's genuine or not. But we've got to get beside ourselves sometimes. If it's not Jesus, please help Esmeralda at school today. Please help the world, save the planet. The plastic's a big problem. Help us, Jesus. And, and that's God snoring. We have to overcome disappointments and difficulties and contend for what is rightfully ours. His love, his favor. We have to have boldness to step out and invite somebody to church or to Alpha or to offer to pray. We have to have that personal sense of I've got to go for God. I've got to contend. I've got to go for God. I can't suffer mediocrity. I can't stand mediocrity. I can't stand it. Okay. Okay, so now I want to finish with a story of two old women, 82 and 84, Christine and Peggy Smith, 1949, lived out in the Hebridean um, Islands in Lewis. They noticed that 1949, 70 years ago, they noticed there were no young people in their church. And they committed themselves to praying every night for several hours. Then they got the minister involved. And he, re he reasoned that if he didn't have a personal revival, how could he ask God for a revival? And so he was reading one of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 24. And he had a personal revival when he read this. It's, he read this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a, a pure heart, who does not lift up his, who does not lift up his, mm, to an idol, I'm gone. Um, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing. In this contending for what you know God wants, his kingdom, his will, your will be done. Through relationship, our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We get changed. So he, so Peggy and Christine Smith called their ministry in. He read that. He had a personal revival. And then they sent for an evangelist of the day called Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell came, and it was sort of a, and the and the revival that ensued when hundreds and hundreds gave their lives to Christ, it it was attributed to him. But I do not believe it was him. I believe it started with the Holy Spirit putting it on those two old ladies, and um, and the and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. This is what Duncan Campbell said. He said this: I wanted it to be known. He, he said he wanted it to be known that he had nothing to do with that great revival. It was the Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of the people. And he said this. He said this. And this is, this is what I want to leave you with for your children and your families and your life. This is, this, is, this is the summing up of contending in prayer. He said this. Revival is something altogether different from evangelism on its highest level. Revival is a moving of God 
in the community and suddenly the community becomes God conscious before a word is said by any man representing any special effort. It is God. I will. Revival. So he goes and he sees this massive outpouring. Revival is something altogether different from evangelism on its highest level. Revival is a moving of God in the community and suddenly the community becomes God conscious before a word is said by any man representing any special effort. And we think, we think send the evangelist in or have a meeting or take them to an Alpha course and all that is absolutely excellent, absolutely excellent. But the reality is that your prayers and my prayers count. And when we pray for God to move, he moves. And sometimes he's storing those prayers. If you read Revelation, he's storing them in a bowl, in a golden bowl, the prayers of the saints, and he's ready to pour it out. But if you don't pray, you don't give anything for God to work with. If you don't pray, you don't give God anything to work with. If you don't pray for those people that are not yet saved, whose wives are in the church, then come on. If you see people who are sick in the church, come on, pray. If you, if you want to see the youth, those eight youth, come to, come to edge, come on, pray. If you want to be free of addictions, everything, pray. If you, then you do what you can. You do what you can. Because you, Paul says, I beat my body into submission. We want an instant world. We want instant coffee, you know. Like, it even gets on your nerves when you have to wait for it to be done with the fancy feather on the top. You know, it, like, we want, it, we want it now. We want it yesterday. We want prime Amazon. I don't know whether I've got that right. You know, you, you want it delivered the minute you touch the button, you know. You want a book from America tomorrow. You know, it's this instant. You've got instant information Instant contact, instant so-called friends, and people are getting lonelier and lonelier. But God is not always instant. How long had you been walking with a stick, Dawn? And how long have you been praying that God would heal you? All the year. But she got it at big church because the Holy Spirit heard her cry and came to her aid. Oh, let's just pray. Father God, I'm probably the worst prayer in this room. Lord Jesus, I'm probably the least on fire. But you've got to do something in our hearts that moves us to contend for your kingdom. These women saw that there were no young people in their church. And we are surrounded, surrounded by children who are just lost, don't have families, don't even know where they're staying sometimes. We have national crisis of crime and, and divorce. And Jesus, the enemy, is ruthless at his destroying work. But you are glorious and you are magnificent. And you want to save me and want to reveal yourself to me. And you want to reveal yourself to my friends. And you want to answer prayer. You want us to pray. When you pray, 
Not if, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. And your father, who hears what you say in secret, he will reward you. Father God, ignite contending prayer in us. It for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our friends, for our brothers and sisters. That we may know you, whom to know is life eternal. That Paul knew that all the riches that we could ever want were in this knowledge of who you are that lives on the inside of us. And help us to go for it. Help us to have some of that chutzpah. Help us to have some of that. Come on, God. Come on, rescue us, God. We're failing here. You've got to do something. That's chutzpah. Like the woman. Like the, like the neighbor who went for, for the bread. And he didn't want to get up and give it. But because he kept persisting. Like the judge who didn't fear God and didn't care for people. But because of the persistence of the widow, he gave her what she wanted. And Jesus, you made the point, how much more? How much more does God want to give you? Because you're not like the judge and you're not like the person who's gone to bed and can't get up and give the bread. How much more does your heavenly father want to give you the kingdom, you say? Help us to live in truth and not in emotional chaos. Deliver us from the evil one and keep our eyes fixed on who you are so that we can contend for what is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, I finished. And